If you have your Bible, please open it with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10. And this morning we are going to look at the first 10 verses. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. While you're turning there, there was an interesting article in USA Today two years ago about an abandoned sheep that was discovered roaming the Australian bush. Experts claim that this sheep had been lost and wandering for several years, and it was a miracle that it even survived. When they found it, it couldn't see because its coat covered up its eyes. It was weighted down with about 78 pounds of wool, and beneath that wool, its little body was covered up in ulcers. I don't know about you, when I see that first picture, I think that's what most South Floridians look like when the temperature is under 50 degrees. Isn't that about right? <laughs> well, someone found that sheep, and there was a rancher who adopted that sheep, and they gave it a haircut. They gave him a name. This is not one of those pastor jokes. Its name really is Barak. And as you can see, Barak is happy now and he's healthy. And perhaps the lesson that we can learn from this story is that sheep really do need a shepherd. Sheep are vulnerable, sheep are weak, and therefore they need a shepherd who will guide them and protect them. Now, that is true physically speaking, but that is true spiritually as well. You know, there are numerous analogies in the Bible that describe the relationship that God has with his people. God is the builder, we are the building. He is the potter, we are the clay. But perhaps the most common analogy in the Bible that describes this relationship is that of the shepherd and the sheep. We immediately think of Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We think about verses like Psalm 100 verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Bible says before Jesus fed the 5,000, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep really do need a shepherd. And this morning, we're going to begin a series of messages in John chapter 10. All of this chapter really points to one statement Jesus made about himself in verse 11 when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, John takes this teaching about Jesus being the good shepherd. He places it here because in the chapter before, the religious leaders kicked out of the synagogue that man who was born blind whom Jesus had healed. They kicked him out, but Jesus, as the good shepherd, took him in. And as we read these first 10 verses, we're going to see some of just what it is that makes Jesus the good shepherd. 
And there are two things in particular I want to point out to you this morning. First of all, I want you to notice the qualifications Jesus meets. The qualifications Jesus meets. Look with me at verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. As Jesus did so many times, he uses an illustration that was so common to them, an illustration that everyone was familiar with. These days, we may not know a whole lot about the sheep industry, but I assure you, they did. And in those days, every city, every village had a large sheepfold, and it appeared probably something like this, where you had some walls made of stone, and you had a door, and it was there in this sheepfold that not just one, but all of the shepherds would come at the end of the day, and they would leave their sheep in that sheepfold so that they could not get out, so that the predators could not get in, but all of the flocks would spend the night in that same communal sheepfold, and there at the door was someone called the doorkeeper, and it was his job to watch over them at night. Morning came when the different shepherds showed up to pick up their sheep. Of course, the doorkeeper, he knew all of the shepherds personally. He recognized them, and so he would open the door for them. They would then call out to their sheep, and their sheep inside of the sheepfold would hear his voice and respond by coming out from the others and following him. Now, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But this sheepfold was a very common sight in the first century. But they also had a very common problem. The problem was you had every now and then a thief who would come along and try to steal some of the sheep. And what do you think would happen. Do you think that the thief would show up through the front door? No. The sheep, or the, the thieves, I'm sorry, would, would come in the darkest part of the night and they would climb over that wall, grab one of the sheep, and carry it away. Now, that was a problem back then. That's still a problem in a lot of parts of the world today. But we need to understand how this sheepfold worked in order to understand the illustration and the point that Jesus is making. You see, there are a lot of people who read these verses and they get a little bit confused because they read this and they automatically think that the sheepfold Jesus is referring to is heaven. Well, no, not here, not yet. This sheepfold in verses 1 through 5 is not heaven, and we know that it's not heaven because Jesus said that the thieves come in and steal. Guess what? 
There's no stealing in heaven. No one ever gets kidnapped in heaven. This sheepfold in verses 1 through 5 is not heaven. It is humanity. This sheepfold is people. People. Now, in this particular moment, Jesus is talking to Jewish people, the sheepfold of Israel. A few verses later, he's going to talk about another sheepfold, the sheepfold of the Gentiles. But you have this sheepfold, which includes believers and non-believers. You'll notice if you pay very close attention as you're reading through John 10, Jesus will refer to the sheep. And when he does, he's talking about people in general. But then he'll talk about his sheep. And when he refers to his sheep, he's talking about those who are saved or those who will be saved. But this distinction between the sheep and his sheep, it's very important as we read further along in this chapter. But you have this sheepfold full of sheep, which represent people. Jesus said, the thief, the robber comes along, not by the door. He comes up some other way. Now, who is the thief? Who is the robber here? Jesus is probably referring to the Pharisees who had just kicked out of the synagogue the man Jesus healed who was born blind. They were thieves and robbers because they took away from the people the Word of God and replaced it with a bunch of man-made rules and regulations telling the people they had to keep all of those rules and regulations if they wanted to be saved. They were thieves and robbers because in their hearts they cared more about themselves and position and power than they really cared about the well-being of the sheep. Now, it's possible that these thieves and robbers that Jesus is talking about refers to the many false messiahs who had already come and indeed, there were many who had already arrived in history saying that they were the Messiah, pretending to be someone they were not. So here's the big question. The question is, how is Jesus different? What makes Jesus different from these Pharisees? What makes Jesus different from all of those false messiahs, what makes him different from the thieves and the robbers in this story? What qualifies Jesus to be called the good shepherd? Well, for one, he enters by the door. He's the good shepherd because he enters by the door. Verse 2 says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What does it mean by entering by the door? Well, if someone visits your home and they come to your front door and they knock on the door or they ring the doorbell, they are coming to you legitimately. If, on the other hand, someone tries to come into your home at night by breaking through a window in your backyard, that person is not coming to you legitimately. Well, Jesus is the shepherd who comes by the door. In other words, according to the scriptures, he came the right way. He fulfilled what the scriptures said about him. He was a man 
born of a virgin in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, Emmanuel, God with us. He came and he obeyed every law and he fulfilled every prophecy and he was everything the scripture said he would be. He did everything the scripture said he would do. In this way, Jesus is the one who came by the door. And so he enters by the door, but then secondly, the doorkeeper received him. It's likely that the doorkeeper that he's referring to here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that forerunner of Christ who recognized him and who then introduced the good shepherd Jesus to the sheep, the people, calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You could argue that even today the doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit, that he presents the shepherd Jesus to people revealing that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior and he is Lord. He entered by the door. The doorkeeper receives him. But this next part is so very important. Notice the sheep respond to him. The sheep actually respond to him. Verse 3 said, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4 says, they know his voice. Verse 5 says, they will not follow a stranger. They'll flee from him. They do not know the voice of a stranger. You see, every shepherd in those days, he had a special voice that he would use when speaking to his sheep so that they could tell his voice apart from others. And normally it was a very melodic kind of voice. It was a song-like kind of voice that he would use in speaking to his sheep. Now, we do the same thing. How many of you have a dog? Okay, you do not go home and, and say, hello dog, how was your day? How are you doing? No, you go home and you have that special high-pitched silly voice that you use with your dog and you would be embarrassed if anybody else heard it. Well, these shepherds had something similar. They had a special voice for their sheep and these sheep are not very smart, but one thing they could do, they learned to recognize the shepherd's voice. Earlier, I mentioned that sheep that was found in Australia. I learned this week that... Uh, the sheep industry in Australia is the largest in the world, and sheep stealing is still a very big problem there. I heard one story about a man who was arrested for stealing sheep. And when he was arrested, he said, hey, I didn't steal those sheep. They were already mine. I was just taking them back. And so you had this conflict and it went to court, and you had these two men both claiming that the sheep were theirs. What would the judge do? Who would the judge believe? Well, he decided to bring in some special witnesses. They brought in some of the sheep into the courtroom. I'm not sure if they were under oath or how that would work exactly. But they brought in these sheep. They had the two men go outside of the courtroom. The door was open. They stood in the hallways. Each one took their turns calling the sheep. The first man called the sheep. They didn't pay any attention to him. But then the second man, the defendant, 
the man who had been arrested, he called the sheep and they recognized his voice. They walked out of the courtroom and yes, that man was acquitted. You see, sheep really do recognize the voice of the shepherd. As the good shepherd, Jesus said he calls the sheep by name. He says, come, follow me. He calls out to us and he says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls out to us and says, come and drink living waters. And all of the sheep can hear that call, but some of the sheep respond to that call. Those are his sheep, those whose hearts are open, those who are ready and willing to receive him and believe him. And I want you to notice how these sheep respond to the shepherd's call in verse 4. It says, the sheep follow him. You know what that is? That is a forward summary of the Christian life. The sheep follow him. We follow Jesus. We follow his word. We follow his teachings. We follow his example. We follow his will. We follow his commands. We follow wherever he leads. And so let me ask, does this describe you this morning? Has there been that time when hearing the shepherd's call, you responded in faith, following Jesus? Can you say, I am following Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd because of all of the qualifications that he meets, but we also see in this passage the benefits Jesus offers. The benefits Jesus offers. Look at verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now notice, they did not understand yet. It was not yet time for them to understand. The time will come later, keep reading, where some will, in the book of Acts, understand and respond to him but first, he had to die on the cross. First, he had to rise from the dead. They don't understand yet. Look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. When we get to verse 7, listen, Jesus is using a slightly different analogy. He's tweaking the analogy that he used in verses 1 through 5. He's changing it up just a little bit. This analogy, starting in verse 7, it is similar to the first one, but it is different. Now, in those days, many times the shepherds would take their sheep, especially in the summertime, they would take them on long journeys to go visit distant pastures, greener pastures. It was good for them. And sometimes the shepherd would take his flock. He might be away for weeks at a time or even months at a time. 
But when he was traveling, he still needed a fold where he could leave his sheep. So when you left the city, when you went out into the country, you would actually see a slightly different kind of sheepfold. You would see another sheepfold, which maybe looked something like this. It was a lot smaller because this sheepfold was not meant to accommodate one flock or many flocks like the other. This one was only intended to accommodate one. But once again, you have the stone walls. You'll notice that there's no door because it was there in that hole in the wall. It was there in that open space that the shepherd at night would actually lie down with his sheep inside and there he would sleep the sheep would have to pass by him in order to get out any wolves would have to pass by him in order to get in it appears this is the kind of sheepfold Jesus is talking about when we get to verse 7 and notice this time Jesus says I am the door this is of course another one of those seven i am statements in the gospel of john where jesus takes that holy name of god yahweh in the greek ego i me i am he takes that name and he applies it to himself he says i am the door of the sheep obviously he's not being literal just like he was not being literal when he said i am the bread of life but he said here i am the door of the sheep because it turns out we all need a door we desperately need a door because we are separated from god by a wall of sin Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. We've all contributed to this wall of sin and this wall of sin that separates us from God, let me tell you a few things about it. This wall is so high on our own, we cannot climb over it. This wall is so deep, we cannot dig underneath it. This wall of sin is so wide, we cannot get around it. And this wall is so strong, we cannot break through it. We are separated from God by this wall of sin, and there's nothing by ourselves on our own we can do to get through it, to be with God. Therefore, we need a door. But I want you to notice what Jesus did not say here. He did not refer to himself as a door, as if there are many different doors available that you can choose from that will lead to salvation. No, he said, I am the door, and he calls himself the door because he is the one who took our place by living a life without sin. He is the one who took our place on the cross when he took the penalty for our sin upon himself. He's the one who defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. No one else did that. And so Jesus says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Listen, the false messiahs did not do any of that. 
All these false messiahs that came along saying that they were the Christ, they didn't fulfill the scriptures like Jesus did. They didn't perform the miracles Jesus did. They didn't teach like Jesus did. They certainly did not die for our sins and rise again like Jesus did. Only Jesus did that. And that's why he says, I am the door there's one door peter said there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved but the name of jesus you know whenever you go through a door you are in essence doing two things you are walking out and you are walking in you are leaving something behind and you're turning yourself towards something new and when you walk through that door that is christ by faith in Him, you are leaving your sin and your past behind. And you are entering into this new relationship with God through Christ as you follow Him. I want you to notice some of the things Jesus offers to those who pass through this door. He offers us salvation. He offers us salvation. Look at verse 9. I am the door. He says it again. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. Some people think that word saved is a little bit old-fashioned. Jesus used it. I think I'll keep on using it as well. But in the first century, when they used that word saved, they used it to describe a person who had recovered from an illness or a person who had survived a terrible storm, perhaps at sea, they used it to describe a person who survived a war. And they used it sometimes to describe a person who was acquitted in a court of law. Here, when we see that word saved, if anyone enters, he'll be saved. That means saved from our sin, saved from judgment, saved from death, saved from eternal separation from God in hell. And notice, who can enter and be saved? Who? Jesus said if, I love this word, anyone, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Anyone can. Jesus offers us salvation and he offers us pasture. Verse 9 says, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We see that word pasture once again. We think of Psalm 123. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Pastures means nourishment. Jesus is our nourishment. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by God's power in Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. It's all in Him. He offers us salvation. He offers us pasture. And He offers us life. He offers us life. Look at verse 10. I know this is a favorite verse of many the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Earlier, Jesus referred to the thieves and robbers, plural. Notice this time, Jesus refers to the thief. Is there any doubt at all who Jesus is talking about here? It's pretty obvious. When he talks about the thief, 
he is, in fact, talking about the devil. And I want you to notice these three words, these three words in verse 10 that summarize everything that the devil is about, everything that he wants to do, his every desire, his every longing, it's all summed up here in three words, steal, kill, destroy. He comes to steal. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal every blessing that God has given you that he can. He comes to kill. He wants to kill you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He wants to kill you because you are beloved by God. He wants to kill you physically, and he wants to kill you spiritually by luring you into hell. And if you can't do that, he came to destroy. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your marriage He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your usefulness in God's work. He wants to destroy anything and everything that he can get a hold of in your life. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's something I want you to notice here. Something that maybe you've never noticed before, though you've read verse 10 many times. Notice this. The opposite of steal is give. And the opposite of kill is to bestow life. The opposite of destruction is abundance. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life in abundance. What is this abundant life that he's offering to us? That word abundantly in verse 10, it means exceeding beyond measure. That which surpasses all of our expectations. And when we read about this abundant life in verse 10, oh, please hear carefully what I am about to say. When Jesus talks about abundant life, he's not talking about a big house and an expensive car and fancy travel. When Jesus talks about giving us abundant life, he's also not talking about the absence, hardships, or trials or adversity, or suffering in our lives. No! He's talking about something that is much, much greater than that. He's talking about a spiritual abundance. And so what is this abundant life really all about? It is unconditional love. It is inexpressible and glorious joy. It is living hope. It's a heart full of contentment, and it's a life of meaning and purpose. It is confidence in the hour of death. It is intimacy with God, the God who created you, 
and the God who gave his only begotten son to die for you. This is what abundant life is about. And listen to me carefully. Don't you dare let some thief come in and water that down. Don't you dare let some robber come in and tell you that this abundant life is merely collecting stuff. This abundant life is so much greater than that. It's a quality of life you will never know apart from Jesus Christ. And we experience that life as we enter through the door that is Christ. In the late 19th and early 20th century, there was a famous Old Testament scholar by the name of Dr. George Adam Smith. And he would tell the story about the time he was in the Middle East and he met a Middle Eastern shepherd and they were doing then pretty much exactly what they were doing 2,000 years ago, which is, I'm told, pretty much what they still do today. But he met this shepherd. He struck up a conversation and began to ask him about his work. And the shepherd took him to his sheepfold and he, he, he showed him his sheepfold. And as Dr. Smith stood there and looked at the sheepfold, he had some questions. He asked him, now, this is where all of your sheep come every night. And the shepherd said, yes. You're telling me that as long as they are in this sheepfold, they're safe. And the shepherd said, of course. And then he asked another question, but I have a feeling Dr. Smith already knew the answer to this question even before he asked it. He asked this question. Um, if they're so safe here, where is the door? Why is there no door? And this shepherd, who was not a Christian and who had probably never read John 10 in his entire life, you know what he said to him? I am the door. He said, as long as I'm here, the sheep can't get out. As long as I'm lying right here, the wolves aren't going to get in. I am the door. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the good shepherd, he said, I am the door. He is the door, not just to eternal life, but to abundant life. And we all know that a door really has one purpose, doesn't it? The purpose of a door is not to look at it. And the purpose of a door is not to admire it. The purpose of a door is to walk through it. And so let me close by just asking some questions. Have you passed through this door? Have you walked through by taking that step of faith, placing your faith in Christ the one who died and rose again, your only hope as Savior and as Lord. And if not, why not right now? Why not today? Christian brother, Christian sister, let me ask you this. Are you experiencing this abundant life on a daily level, on a practically level, this abundant life that is available to you in Christ? And if not, why not? What is it in your life that would hinder you or keep you from experiencing the abundant life God wants you to experience and enjoy. And whatever it is, would you surrender that thing to Him this morning? Because Jesus, the Good Shepherd, 
is waiting. Would you join me as we pray right now? Oh God, we thank you for your word and that you sent to us not just any shepherd, but Jesus, the good shepherd. And we know we're going to see even more in the weeks ahead just what it is that makes him the good shepherd. But we thank you, O oh God, that he came from heaven to earth and he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we deserve to die and he took our place and he died and he rose again and therefore, because Jesus and only Jesus did all of that, he says to us, I am the door. And so, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here today who has yet to pass through that door by placing their faith in Christ as a step of faith in Him, that this would be the day. God, we are so glad we don't have to scale a giant wall to get to heaven. We don't have to climb a mountain to get to heaven. We're so glad that there's a door and we simply pass through by faith. If there's anyone, oh God, who needs to take that step of faith in Jesus today, how I pray that at this very moment they would do exactly that. And would you help all of us here, especially those of us who know Christ, Lord, would you help us to model for the world around us what this abundant life looks like? Because so many times, Lord, we don't experience it on a practical level. We allow unconfessed sin to accumulate. We allow disobedience to get in the way. And God, we don't want there to be anything that would keep us from modeling this abundant life to the world around us so that they would see us and want to know Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. As we continue to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, would you do me a favor real quick? Would you just imagine a door? Just imagine one door. And right now that door is open. Won't be open forever. But if you're here this morning and you're listening to this message, guess what? Right now that door is open. And that door is Christ. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters in, that, matter, that means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed in the past. If anyone enters in, 